Hello and welcome to the Friday, December 4th, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, an Iowa race goes to Washington, water quality, and a capital idea. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And with me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up this morning in the never-ending saga of the second district congressional race, um, Iowa election officials have certified Republican Marionette Miller-Meeks as the winner uh, in that open seat race, but Democrat Rita Hart didn't agree. However, rather than look to Iowa courts for a decision in her favor, Hart is asking the Democratic-controlled U.S. House to review the election results. Tom, uh, I think we were all expecting Hart to challenge or contest the certification, uh, but petitioning Nancy Pelosi rather than Iowa courts was a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? And what happens now? Yeah, uh, it, it definitely was a surprise. I, along with others who have closely followed this race and the recount process, were um, anticipating that Rita Hart would take this to court first, argue her case, and then um, appeal to, to the U.S. House of Representatives as the, the final arbiter, depending on, on how things played out in court. Um, just uh, a, a bit of a background, uh, Hart had until Wednesday afternoon to contest the state certified results in state court. That would have thrown the race to a five-member judicial tribunal presided over by the Chief Justice of the Iowa Supreme Court, um, and, and that panel would have been required to rule on who won the seat by December 8th per state law. Um, Hart's campaign argued that that tight timeline for um, a, a state election challenge in, in, in the courts would not have allowed adequate time to examine the ballots and evidence needed to, quote, ensure all Iowans votes are accurately counted in this historically close election. So the campaign claims that time constraints and a lack of standard rules prevented all votes from, from being counted during that district-wide recount, um, Iowa law um, prohibits ballots not counted in the initial canvas of votes from being considered in a recount. And as a result, um, Rita Hart's campaign alleges that there are um, legally cast ballots, including ballots cast by military members serving overseas um, that were not included in that initial canvas and thus couldn't be included in the recounts. Um, the campaign Two, um, contends that many counties did not fully review ballots to identify um, valid votes that the machines did not recognize um, during the recount, in part because of the time and the burden that would have been required to do such a, a thorough recount. Um, and so her campaign is arguing that there are um, thousands of overvotes and undervotes um, in the race that were not um, examined for, for voter intent um, because of just the, the time constraints in, in doing such a a thorough hand recount. As for what happens now, um, Rita Hart would need to file a petition within 30 days of Monday's um, state certification of the election. Um, doing that would trigger a proceeding in front of the House Committee on Administration that would allow the campaign to um, offer testimony and evidence um, in such a proceeding. Um, either party may take sworn depositions subpoena witnesses, um, produce documents, and, and file briefs to include any materials that they wish to, to put on the record before the committee. Um, the U.S. Uh, House could also direct the committee to conduct its own investigation and recount. 
um, a process that in the past has included reviewing election records and um, examining disputed ballots um, as well. Um, the, the House Committee could interview and examine various election personnel um, in the state. Uh, the committee would then submit a report of its findings to the full House um, with a recommendation on which candidate should fill the vacancy, which could require a simple majority vote of the U.S. House, or they could find that neither party is entitled to fill the seat and declare a vacancy. Um, so uh, the, the last time this happened, it's worth noting that the last time this happened in, in 1984 in Indiana's 8th Congressional District, the democratically controlled House did its own recount and voted to seat Democratic incumbent um, Frank uh, McCloskey. Uh, that move nullified the state's certification of his Republican challenger as the winner. So this could go on for quite a while, it sounds like. Uh, yes, and, and it was not immediately clear to me um, on Wednesday whether or not that process would um, hold up Marionette Miller-Meeks from being sworn in um, on, on January 3rd. Still, I guess, don't have a, a clear answer on, on that and, and I guess how that would impact that as things play out or if she would, you know, still be sworn in, I guess, depending on what the House decides. Okay. So, so the second district could have a representative there or maybe no representative until this is resolved? Uh, that was not immediately clear to me on Wednesday. I still haven't gotten a, um, a definitive answer on that, so I'm, I'm not really sure. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Aaron, uh, we've heard several Republicans chastising Hart for not accepting the results of the 24 county recounts, and Iowa Democrats are defending her decision to appeal to the U.S. House. What's the gist of their arguments, or is it just strictly partisan politics? I feel like you're setting me up here, James, with that question. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> of course, it's strictly partisan politics. Um, look, and, and, and both sides have have fairly strong partisan cases to make here. This is, a, I mean, it's not unprecedented, as Tom just noted, but it's, it's pretty dang rare. And, and this is um, largely uncharted waters here. Um, so we're we're, we're reaching steps in the process that are, are very rarely employed. Um, I think Tom laid out the case pretty clearly for why Democrats um, feel they needed to, to go the route they did. Um, and, you know, it's not hard to understand Republicans' arguments either that, um, you know, if, if, if the hard campaign really wanted to challenge this, they could have done it at the state level and, and they instead waited to to go to the house, which is controlled by their political party. Um, so uh, it's, so yeah, I mean, but both sides have their arguments that they're going to make um, based on a case that's going to be most helpful to them, uh, to their party. Um, what's also interesting to me is that um uh, the, the, the kind of the expansion of the criticism from Republicans here and uh, shameful plug as I'll every once in a while do here. Um, you may see some words about this in, in print over the weekend with my name at the top. Um, we've spent weeks and still haven't heard um, U.S. Senators, Iowa's Republican U.S. Senators, Chuck Grassley or Joni Ernst admit that Joe Biden won the presidential election that was uh, literally a, a month ago. 
and um, yet within two hours of the uh, Iowa second district race being called and Hart announcing its challenge, uh, they jumped all over that one to say that uh, that uh, Democrats should respect the outcome of that election um, and move on. So um, I, I think it's uh, fair to observe a little bit of inconsistency uh, there in how um, some Republicans are uh, viewing election results uh, this cycle. Yeah, and Todd, I was going to ask you about that, that the, the blowback um, from Republicans um, is saying that the, this Iowa election should not be determined by Washington politicians. Um, one blogger uh, on the conservative side of the spectrum called it legal but shady when he was writing about uh, Hart's um, the, her challenge or her petition to the House. Um, but isn't there a lot of irony here in Republicans calling for a Democratic candidate to accept the election outcome and Democrats refusing to accept what appears to be the election outcome? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's irony running both ways. I mean, Republicans say this is settled and they don't want further proceedings. And with, with the presidency in the balance, they're, they're claiming that's not settled. Democrats, you know, are bashing Republicans for not accepting Joe Biden's victory. And at the same time, they're, you know, obviously pursuing this unique route to try to get uh, Rita Hart a House seat. Uh, I mean, you know, I think Republicans have a point when they criticize this process, although I would I would bet the farm that if this were reversed and the Republicans controlled the House, that they would be doing the exact same thing. And I mean, we've seen sort of with the state house race last year in Northeast Iowa, where the the ballots weren't opened and there were the wrong barcodes or whatnot. And and now with this, the, I mean, Republicans kind of seem to be displaying this, an idea that hey, once we're ahead, let's let's not worry about whether there are any other legal votes to count because that just might mess everything up. So, uh, I mean, if this if this the, the you know, the only way I think this House process, you know, goes from being shady to enlightening is if there are legally cast votes that weren't counted for some reason. And, uh, and and really, those votes should be counted if they were legally cast. So that's, you know, I hope that this I also hope this is a transparent process, because it's going to get even more shady if they just sort of make pronouncements and rulings and and arguments without explaining what they're doing that could that can really contribute to the idea that this is nothing more than a than a partisan grab of a house seat yeah it, it seems like it would be really uh, ironic too if uh military ballots that weren't counted uh changed the outcome here considering that uh miller meeks is a 24-year yeah. veteran army veteran um yeah, it it would be ironic if those votes weren't counted too. I guess, uh, yeah. in, in that case. So, um, speaking of election outcomes, Amy, there were news reports earlier this week that first district representative Abby Finkenauer is among a handful of people President elect Joe Biden is considering for Secretary of Labor, mm -hmm. uh, given their relationship going back to the two thousand eight Iowa caucus campaign. It doesn't seem surprising that Biden would find a job for. Uh, Finkenauer does it, but um, uh, cabinet position seems to be a big step for a, a one-term congresswoman. Yeah, it would be. Um, and and I was talking with Aaron about this actually this week, um, and he, you know, because I was saying 
it's not surprising that the offer would at least be there, whether it's, you know, a real offer or not. Um, I think, you know, she was an early and very vocal backer of his campaign, um, you know, back during the Iowa caucuses when she could have, you know, pitched her horse to anybody. Um, and Aaron pointed out that she was also, um, you know, on his side back in, in 2008 and, and wanted to, you know, um, support him then. So she's a longtime backer of Biden. I think, um, you know, that tends to get rewarded um, in, in most administrations. So I think whether she ends up getting secretary of labor though, is a little bit up in the air. I think, I think Aaron wrote a really nice piece, um, on it, just talking about, you know, it's maybe not super likely, but we're not really sure if it's likely, um, just because she's a one, like you said, a one-term Congresswoman, um, probably doesn't have that experience that some of the other, um, nominees that were floated do, um, but nevertheless, um, there could be other qualities that he's looking for. And perhaps he's floating her name then to, um, you know, give her a second place prize of, of another position in his cabinet. So I think either way it shakes out, you will probably see Finkenauer in Washington or working for Biden in some respect. Yeah, that, that wouldn't be surprising at all. Um, you know, what is honesty pay, pays, but loyalty pays off or something. You know, there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we're, we're, as we put the election in the rearview mirror, or at least try to, um, we're setting the stage for the coming legislative session, uh, which opens in January. And Governor Kim Reynolds has said that she will make another effort to get the legislature to pass her Invest in Iowa plan that would provide funding for water quality and outdoor recreation, as well as other priorities by raising the sales tax. Todd, um, do, you, do you think that a report out this week that 45% of Iowa's waters are impaired will help build a fire under the GOP controlled legislature to take action or will they just keep posting uh, no swimming signs? Yeah, I, I would bet on the no swimming signs. I, I, you know, the governor's plan is a net tax reduction, you know, with a sales tax increase and an income tax cut. But I mean, raising the sales tax in a pandemic economy is, is not going to look very attractive to lawmakers, I don't think. And with revenues not great, I don't know that a, an income tax cut is going to be the prudent thing to do. They may have trouble sort of holding the line on a kind of a status quo or below status quo budget. So uh, you know, there there was not a lot of enthusiasm among lawmakers for her plan last year, and, and conditions seem even less, uh, you know, less uh, uh, conducive to passing something big and complicated like that this year with so much uncertainty. Uh, I mean, that said, you know, governors sometimes, you know, can exert some pressure to get their priorities, but you know, if if Reynolds were the sort of governor who has in the past said, you know, I want my priority. And if, if uh, you don't give it to me, I'm going to take down some of yours. I might think, well, she's got a chance, but she's never really displayed a willingness to do that and play hardball with her own party. So uh, I have a feeling this is going to be bounced around a little bit. Lawmakers will talk about how they're interested and they're looking at it. And then in the end, it's probably going to have to wait, but uh, that's that's just what it looks like from at this point, you know, today. Yeah. And I mean, the the comments that uh, Representative Lee Hine, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee made yesterday or Thursday 
at the Iowa Taxpayers Association uh, meeting weren't real encouraging uh, in terms of a tax cut. He uh, kept saying, you know, we might want to wait and see how things shake out here, uh, you know, after the pandemic and see what revenues are before we pass a, a tax cut because we don't, I think his words were, we don't want to get behind the eight ball. Um, and, and the legislature has been in that position in the past, back in what was it, like 2017 and 18, when they had to go in and deappropriate. And and I don't think um, they want to have to do that again. So uh, yeah. it's probably going to be a tough sell for the governor. Uh, to get yeah. And, and we, you know, we have no idea at this point how, we're, what the pandemic is going to look like in a month or two months. I mean, there are experts saying it's going to, you know, we're going to see more spikes in cases and hospitalizations as we go through the winter months and the economic impact of that, it's not going to be good. So, uh, I mean, things might, as, as bad as things sort of look today, they might look even worse come January. I guess they'll get a revenue estimate soon. Is that next week? I, I don't know. Yeah. Which they're supposed to base their budget on, but that's, I, I doubt it's going to be, super positive it might not be as as bad as feared but i mean yeah there's just so much uncertainty it's hard to it's hard to pass a big ambitious plan with so many moving parts right and and the iowa legislative services agency is saying that the the revenue numbers don't really show the full picture because the tax filing deadlines were pushed back because of the pandemic so they can't do an apples to apples comparison with last year uh you know the, the revenue numbers look pretty good compared to last year, but it's it's not an apples to apples comparison. Right. So uh, there's a lot of uncertainty there. Um, and I guess that's certainly one we'll say stay tuned. Yeah, the, Jim, if I can just tack one little sure. thought onto this. The other thing to keep in mind with all this is this was a tall order, a big ask in a normal session, in a normal oh, yeah. year. Right. Right. You know, it's it's just such a it, it's ambitious. There's a lot of little pieces within it that a lot of people like. But when you put the whole thing together, so many moving parts, um, uh, so many big things that it was going to be a tall ask. It, it, like I said, in a normal year, you throw in the uncertainty of the pandemic and it, it's just really hard to see it getting done. Well, and it had it had barely moved by mid-March when the legislature skedaddled for the exactly. pandemic. I think there'd been one subcommittee meeting and. And I mean, yep. there's a lot of moving parts, which also means that there's there's stuff in there for everyone to dislike. I mean, there's <laughs> there were pieces that environmental groups didn't like. There were pieces that tax people, you know, taxpayer groups didn't like. Uh, and there was never any real confirmation as to what it was going to mean for mental health, whether it was going to be an increase in funding or whether it was just going to be property tax replacement. So, yeah, I mean, it it was it. Yeah, Aaron's completely right. I mean, it was having problems before all this happened. Moving on here, um, I've covered the legislature for a few years, and in that time, I've seen a change in the relationship between reporters at the state house. There always has been a camaraderie uh, among reporters. However, the media landscape changes in ownership, downsizing of news staffs, and and new media has resulted in a movement away from the folks jealously guarding their turf to more sharing and cooperation between news organizations. This podcast, for example, is the result of a sharing agreement between the Gazette and Lee newspapers that goes back to at least 10 years. Now, state house reporters have taken the cooperation step a, a step further with the creation of the Iowa Capital Press Association. Aaron, uh, or should I call you President Murphy? Um, <laughs> tell us more about that. 
Uh, well, not yet. We're still counting some ballots in some precincts. And, uh, <laughs> some of the uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So this is. I'm really happy to see this um, moving. It's it's actually an idea that's been um, kicked around uh, by myself and others in the state house press corps for um, literally a few years. Um, uh, even had early organizational meetings a little while back and. You know, as things tend to happen, it gets put on the back burner and, and lost track of. And, and we were able to kind of rekindle that earlier this year. Um, we we're able to really keep the ball rolling. And this time um, we got to the point where we are officially a thing, I guess, announced ourselves here um, recently. We, we elected officers, um, myself, uh, Kathy Obradovich of the Iowa Capital Dispatch and Katarina Sesteric from um, Iowa Public Radio. And uh, basically the goal, the, the first thing I always say to, to make it as simple as explanation as possible for people who are familiar with the White House Correspondents Association, we're basically that, but for the Iowa Capitol, um, just just a, a group of reporters who cover the state house, the governor, uh, state government, essentially, and um, want, wanted the ability to have an, exor- an, an organization that can speak with one voice on behalf of us all. Uh, on any issues related to whether it's access or transparency, um, those kinds of issues, or, or even just something as simple as working conditions at the Capitol. Um, it just gives us that opportunity to speak with uh, one collective voice um, on matters that we uh, feel are important. Um, and, and this isn't uh, uh, even necessarily some big aggressive thing. I mean, one of the first things we're going to want to set out to do is just kind of talk to the governor's office about what press conferences look like in, in the coming uh, weeks and, and months. Talk to the legislative leaders about what the legislative session is going to look like during the pandemic, what safety precautions are being taken. Um, just the kind of stuff that impacts us as a group and, and how we do our work and, and how we get the information that uh, gets into our stories and out to our, our readers and listeners and viewers. So um, I think it's a group that can... Uh, do some good things that'll uh, hopefully um, make a, you know work uh, a little bit uh, better for state house journalists, which then we don't do for selfish reasons. We do that because the, the better our working conditions, the better we can do our job for um, the people of Iowa. So Aaron, you said this is sort of like the White House uh, reporters group. So you're going to throw a big dinner sometime during the year and, and poke fun at the governor and, and, and the elected officials? God, no, not as long as I'm president anyways. I can make that <laughs> campaign pledge right now. This isn't George Bush saying no new taxes either. <laughs> in Iowa Press Association Correspondents Dinner. <laughs> So uh, does your association accept podcasters as members? <laughs> we will, we'll have to have that discussion, James. I will put that on the agenda for the next meeting, and thank you for bringing it to my attention. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. 
Item nine in the Mad Hatters will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to su subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Amy, Tom, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.
Keep walking, girl.